chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Hear now the word of the Lord. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. As we said earlier, I'm sure I just did something I shouldn't have done. As we said earlier, we are in the middle of our series called The Power of Promise, where we are celebrating the promises God has made to us, and we are remembering the promises we made to God and to one another. I give thanks for these promises, the ones that have influenced my life and the ones that we will celebrate today as those that have gone on before us. And so if it's all right with you, I'd like to preach from the subject this morning, Promises of Future Past promises of future past. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And all God's people said, Amen. that was better than last week, you know, for the first try. But I just, I just have to remind you. I mean, I know it's a weekly reminder, but I just... We have energy because we are people of resurrection. And we give thanks that we're in this place. We might be few in this place, but we are still mighty. So all God's people said, Amen. That's it, right? See, I knew you had it in you, right? You know, I, I'm not sure if it's being a father or just something that happens to people as we continue to grow up. But I've recently found myself concerned with something that I've never given too much thought. As I was preparing this sermon, all sorts of ideas about directions and themes and such went through my mind. And as I read the scripture, I realized that I really could not relate to it. I mean, we like to put ourselves in the position of the people with whom 
we are sharing the story or reading about, right? When we think of the disciples, we like to imagine we were right there. And as we read about Joshua this morning and the story of the Israelites, I realize that I know very little about my family. I know very little about those that came before me. You see, I have a very small family. I have one sister. Both of my parents were only children. I never met my dad's dad, and his mother passed away in 2014. And my mom's father, who I was very close to, passed away in 2011. So outside of my immediate family, all I know is my grandmother, her brother, and their family. With the addition of mine and my sister's children, there's now 15 people in my entire family. And that's like when you go to Christmas and you're with all the cousins and such. My entire family is 15 people. Before we had children, there was only 11 of us. So like I said, we're a real small circle. We're a tight-knit group. In this text, though, as we'll discuss more in a minute, Joshua is establishing a monument to a particular moment in history. It is a moment to be commemorated and told and retold to the generations that come after them. And it was. And this is how Scripture was remembered. I mean, before there was written text, all of Scripture were oral stories passed down from generation to generation, stories and tradition and genealogies. These are the things that have a great deal of importance for the Israelites. They are the basis for Israelite culture. All the stories of the Old Testament were passed down from mother to daughter, from father to son, to grandson, to great grandson for generations. So as I read this text and thought about the rich tradition of the Israelites that they had passed down to their descendants, I discovered a longing to reconnect with my history, to learn about my family, to discover the story of my people. Aside from the few things I knew and have known that my mother and my father and my grandmother have told me about my family, I, I know very little about my family outside of their experiences. So I signed up for Ancestry.com. I did it. I decided it's time to learn a little bit about my past. I have not yet discovered anyone famous or any relatives who have done anything too nefarious. I'm also not next in line to the throne of some unknown country or the beneficiary of a great inheritance of riches. But what I did discover is that my great-grandfather's name was James Leonidas Lisenby. Isn't that a cool name? Leonidas is a family name. I should use that. It's like the, the, you know, the leader of the Spartans, Leonidas. I also discovered that my great-great-grandfather, was his name was Joshua Henry Lisenby, and he was a pastor in Dale County. I'm not the first Reverend Lisenby in my family. How about that? I was also impressed, or not impressed, just surprised to learn that my great-grandfather to the 10th power, that's great, 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 great grandfather. Moved to Queen Anne's, Maryland from Huntington, England, somewhere between 1620 and 1645, which I guess it's fate that I went to Huntington College, even though one spelled with a T and one with a D. You know, most of my life I've thought that a person is essentially a collection of their own experiences. Everything that you've done has made you the person you are today. That's why I say I have no regrets in life. Everything has made me the man I am today. I regret nothing I've ever said or done. That's not true. I definitely regret a few things. But if there's anything I've learned now that I have two children of my own, 
it is that these two kids likely won't remember the majority of the things that their mother and I do for them, mostly their mother. But if we weren't to do those things like bathe them and feed them and protect them, they would not be able to have a collection of experiences that would shape the people they are to become. So yes, while we are partly a product of our own experiences, we are also the beneficiaries of a host of work that has gone on before us. Some of the work by people whose names we might not even know. And that's why Joshua thought it was worth pausing an invasion just to pick up some rocks in the middle of the river. The text says the whole nation of Israel crossed the river. And just think about that. A whole nation of people crossing a river together. And when they got there, they weren't thinking they would just, you know, hike up their robes a little bit to keep from getting the ends wet. And they would meander through the Jordan. The Jordan is not a river to scoff at. It might not be the widest river in the world, but it's very deep and it's very fast. And since the water is deep and there was no bridge, most of the people, they must have wondered, how are we going to cross this river? How are we going to get to the other side? So they camp there for three days preparing to cross. And then Joshua sent the Ark of the Covenant to the front of the group. And when the people carrying the ark got to the edge of the water, the flow of the river stopped. Once again, the Lord parted the water for the Israelites to walk on dry land into the promised land. We've heard a similar story before. And that's where today's story picks up. Joshua is so in awe as to what is happening. He wants to make sure that people remember this moment, that they don't forget about it. So before Joshua sends the nation across in its entirety, he tells 12 burly guys, hey, grab a giant rock from the middle of the river and carry it with you the entire rest of the day until we make camp. And while they were doing that, Joshua himself grabbed another 12 stones and stacked them on top of each other in the middle of the river where the water was stopped on one side. On the dry ground, he stacked up these 12 stones. And I cannot imagine what it must have been like to be one of those 12 guys carrying a giant rock. You're entering into enemy territory for the first time. And you can't see what is holding this water back. I mean, just imagine what that would be like. And you've spent three days planning to carry all your possessions over this river in one trip. And then suddenly, You're being asked to stop and pick up a boulder to to carry it in your arms or on your back the whole rest of the day. And the whole long day is done. And Joshua tells the people, when your children ask, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones will be a memorial forever to the people of Israel. Israel has just experienced this great event God has done. And remember, most of these people were not there for the Red Sea crossing. An entire generation passed away before they made it to the promised land. They were in the wilderness for 40 years. But now they have their own story. 
They have their own miracle, a story of God keeping God's promises to bring them into the promised land. They'd heard about this promised land. They dreamt about it. They told their people that one day we will be in the land flowing with milk and honey. One day we will be in the promised land. And that day was today, the day we're reading about right now. And they said they want to remember this forever. So they built a monument out of stones. They started a tradition on that day. For the rest of Israel's history, they then pile up stones whenever they encounter God's saving power. And they will tell those stories in those places to anybody who asks because they pass them down from generation to generation. In the book of 1 Samuel, we learn they call these stones Ebenezer's. Have you ever wondered why we sing, here I raise my Ebenezer? Have you ever wondered what an Ebenezer is? An Ebenezer is a stone of help. An Ebenezer is a reminder that none of us is here on our own power. Joshua knew that these reminders were important. It was important to remember what God has done so that we can be faithful and trusting in what God will do. It's a risky thing to stop an invasion in the middle of a river so that you can carry a giant boulder that will slow you down. But Joshua knew there was an even greater risk. It would be far more dangerous for the people to forget what God has done. The story of Israel and the idea of passing things down have a lot in common with our modern stories, do they not? This story, like a lot of our stories, is a story of legacy. Aren't we all a people very concerned with legacy? The athlete is trying to win his next championship so that his legacy will be great. The philanthropist who donates money to the museum is concerned with the legacy as a patron of the arts. The inventor is concerned with how their creation will create a legacy for their name. All of these are very grand ways of remembering legacy. They're all the things that go down in history books. But I think we are all concerned with legacy, even if we don't expect to be in the history book. The parent wants to leave a legacy for their children, one they can be proud of. The teacher wants the successes of their students to be their legacy. The coach wants a legacy of a person who not only won championships, but more importantly, instilled values in their players. The legacy we leave is very much a conscious or unconscious part of our lives. Have you thought much about your legacy? This instinct to leave a legacy also exists in our life as Christians. The idea of leaving behind something is very much part of what it means to follow Christ. However, there's a fundamental difference in the legacy of the Christ follower. The athlete wants his name to go down in the history books. The philanthropist wants her name on the side of the building. The inventor wants their name on the products they create. But becoming a disciple is about learning the legacy that matters is not our own, but it is Christ's. I mean, don't we pray this all the time? Not my will be done, but yours. The Christian is concerned not with their name living on, but with the name of Jesus living on forever. 
We say we're trying to make God's presence known on earth as it is in heaven. The legacy we leave as Christ followers is the witness we share with the world about the goodness of God. The legacy we leave is to help somebody encounter the presence of the Holy Spirit. The non-believer is concerned with how they will be known by those that come after them. The one who follows Christ is concerned with how God will be known by those who come after us. The name we glorify is not our own. The legacy we leave is the Lord's. That's what Joshua believed. Joshua didn't say, let's build a monument to how great we as Israelites are. Let's not build a monument about our nation being the greatest nation, so we should build these 12 stones in honor of Israel. No. He also didn't say, let's make a monument to me, because I'm the one who led us. I'm such a great leader. He said, let's make a monument to God. Let's make a monument to remember God's saving grace, God's saving power. They made a monument so the people of Israel would know what God has done for the people. When the children are asked, when they ask, what are these stones for? You will tell them about what God did on this day. You will tell them about the miracle where God stopped the river Jordan. The Ebenezer is not a stone of strength. The Ebenezer is a stone of help. Recognizing the help that God offers us. It's the stone that says what God has accomplished, the legacy that God leaves and that we are witness to. That is the one fundamental thing that changes about your life when you become a Christian. When you accept this role as disciple, when you say, I want to follow Jesus, when you lift your hand and you come down to the altar or you're confirmed or baptized, whenever you began this life of Christ following, one of the fundamental things that changed between us and a non-believer is that we become concerned not with how we will be remembered, but with how God will be remembered and how God will be known. That's the legacy we as Christ followers consider. What have I done so that others will know God? What have I done in this life that is a testament to the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ? And I have to be fully transparent for just one one moment. I, I have to admit a bias I have. I think this church does a really good job. And my bias is that I'm a pastor here and that my family is a member of this church. And so, yes, if you are new with us today, or if you're watching, I am biased to thinking this is a great church. But I am proud to serve a church that seeks to leave a legacy of helping others experience God. I love to tell the stories of our church, the church that is concerned with helping the least know that they are loved, that offers a safe place for children to experience learning in new ways as they're navigating online school, that, that meets weekly to provide aid to people stuck in a cycle of poverty that takes time to care for persons with special needs. That is the work of legacy that this church is doing. None of these things are to make the name of Dauphin Way live forever. They're to make the name of Jesus Christ live forever. They're to leave a legacy in this community of making the kingdom known here on earth as it is in heaven. And none of these things would be possible without the promise that you and the thousands before us made to God, to this church, and to one another. The reason we are here is because of the legacy of those that came before us. I love to hear the stories of how Carl Atkins 
a former pastor, gathered the Methodist pastors of Mobile and got them to sign an open letter in the press register supporting the Mobile bus boycott. Or about Joel McDavid, who had the impossible task of following Carl Adkins and his larger-than-life personality, but who came to be known as one of the most pastoral presences who's ever preached here. He never made it about himself. Or to know personally Dr. Steve Dill, to hear his stories, to learn from his experiences, and by being around him, be inspired to be more like Christ. The legacy of our pastors, those who came before us, they they tell the truth about God, but it definitely does not stop there. Because equally, if not even maybe more importantly, I'm proud to serve a church where the laity of this church work tirelessly to make sure God's presence is known and that the kingdom continues and to being made known here in Mobile. They leave lives and leave legacies that extend beyond themselves, like Miss L.G. Adams. Have you heard the story of Miss L.G. Adams, one of our founding members? Miss Adams was quick, quick to speak up against the people who sought to cause friction and division in our young church. And when the church was only seven years old, Miss Adams decided it was time for us to start planting churches in Poland. She founded a missionary society to support the brand new Poland Conference of the Methodist Church. How about people like Bob Williams, who believe so much in how the power of our music and the music ministry here spreads the love of Jesus Christ in our community. He worked to make sure that we had the right people leading our worship services. Or how about Grace Links, whose witness as a Christ follower left a legacy that is borne out in her children and all the compassion ministries we mention each week wouldn't be flourishing had it not been for the love that she showed to her daughters and how Kathy makes that same legacy known by making the mercies of God known through the ministries of compassion of our church. This church reminds me every day how much I owe to the people whose names I will never hear. How much work has gone on throughout the life of the ministries of Dauphin Way that might not ever be known or celebrated, that might not have a plaque, or that person might not be written in the history books, but that made the kingdom of God known in Mobile and in Poland and all over this world. None of us could ever do all this for ourselves. Everyone who is worshiping today is here because we had help along the way. It might not be a direct help that you recognize because it might not have been somebody in your immediate sphere of influence, but somebody kept a promise one day. Somebody kept a promise they made to God and to this church. And because of those promises, we are able to worship here and worship online, to unload a truck full of pumpkins and send people to do God's work around the world. The limitless promise of future ministry is owed to much of our past. We celebrate the stories of the people who went on before us, even if we don't know them. One week from today, we are going to make our commitment. On Commitment Sunday, we will recommit ourselves to this church, which is a turn for each of us with our pledge of our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our witness, and our service to raise our own Ebenezer. 
Not a stone of our strength to say, look what I can do. Look at the legacy I will leave. But it says, here's what I'm going to offer God for the legacy of Christ. And that I will need help. When you make a commitment to this church, you are admitting that you will need help at times. You will need people to pray for you. You'll need people to be present with you. That you will learn alongside one another, worship alongside one another. When times get tough, people will be there for you. And when times get tough for others, you will be there for them. Those are the promises we make. And everything we pledge, all of the, the, the promises we make here, they make a difference. And we might not ever even see it. But we're planting seeds that will be harvested in the kingdom of God for years to come. People may never know that you were the vessel that God used to change their life. But they will feel the power of God's promise because of the work that you do. Because of the promises you make. The Israelites would look at those stones year after year. And they might not never know the names of the men who carried them. They probably didn't. But what they knew is that they were a symbol of what God has done and a promise of what God will do. A sign of God's faithfulness forever. We can have assurance of God's promises for the future because of God's work in the past. And the promises we make will make that possible for the future of this church and for the future of this community and for all those who come after us. I I fully expect that one day, Many years from now, many of us will be gone, either moved on to a different town or moved on to the kingdom eternal. And somebody might say, hey, who was that associate pastor? Who was that pastor we had that one time? He had a funny name like Brooks or Trees. They might not get my name right. That's fine. Most people don't. And, And they might not know a whole lot. But I hope they say something like, you know, he might have been a little goofy, but he, he had a, a beautiful family. He had some crazy kids, but, but he was here during that, that pandemic. He and Kathy and Michael were the, the pastors here during that global pandemic when the world went crazy that summer. And, and I don't, we don't really know much about him, but, but the church was obviously faithful during that time. And God was faithful to us during that time as a congregation. And the God who brought us through that will bring us through whatever tomorrow brings. And wouldn't that be a story worth telling? Not what any one of us as individuals did, but the testament that during even this time, God was faithful. And that makes the promise for the future that God will continue to be faithful. Wouldn't that be a legacy? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.